0: Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. I'm Father Chris Alar here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. And we're excited because this is only the second or third time we've ever done this in a year and a half. This talk will be a premiere here on to November the 13th, and I'm actually going to be on a parish mission, Uh, so this is being pre-recorded, but you will be able to chat live, and I'll be joining you. So um, if you have any questions while this talk is going on, I will be with you live. So that's the beauty of doing a premiere. And so today's topic is a fascinating one, and one in the month of November that we should all be listening to, and that is on ghosts. What is the church teaching? and who are the ghosts let us begin though with a prayer in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen heavenly father we ask you send the holy spirit down upon us to open our minds and hearts to receive the grace you wish to bestow the grace that will lead us all to eternal life and for our faithful departed we ask that you have mercy on them, and allow them into heaven. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So thank you everybody for joining us. As we said that we'll be doing this, you'll be live together, but I'll be joining you on this uh, talk on ghosts. Now, one of the first questions are, do ghosts really exist? What is the church teaching? Well, no, Father, they don't exist. Actually, the church teaching is yes, but they are not demons. Ghosts are something different. They are actual human spirits without bodies. And so that's who the ghosts are. So then how should we as Catholics approach them, approach them literally and figuratively? Let's look at our next slide even without our actions or invitations, the dead often appear to the living, like we just see on the screen right there on your slides. So as we'll explain, there may be good and there may be bad. We will explain regarding these spirits. And there may be good and done at God's direction. Absolutely. So, How does the existence of ghosts fit into our faith? What should we know? All right, there's no dogma. In other words, you don't have to view ghosts in a particular way, like the dogma of the Blessed Virgin Mary's Immaculate Conception or or the existence of angels. There are angels. Ghosts, again, are a little bit different. But how we believe in them is dogma, and that is a soul so we'll talk about this but church teaching says that we shouldn't try to contact them all right or communicate with the dead this is important because they are real they are real the 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 deceased person is now separated their soul from their, their body. And so these spirits, and remember the difference between a soul and a spirit. Everything has a soul. Every living thing has a soul. Animals have souls. Plants have souls. They're vegetative souls. Um, animals have uh, sensitive souls. But only humans have rational, immortal souls. And that's what we have called spirits. Only humans have Spirits okay? Uh, Plants and animals don't. They have souls, meaning they animate the body to life, but we only have, only we have spirits. Now, that's what we're talking about here. So any kind of participation, that's why I said we shouldn't try to contact or communicate with the dead, because any participation in the occult or spiritism is sinful, this is church teaching, all right? Why? There is a danger of being deceived by evil, by evil spirits. So, this is why when it comes to supernatural things, we should stick exclusively with God and his revelation through the Bible and his church. All right, now, most Christians, let's talk about this. Most Christians attribute ghost stories either to natural phenomena. You know, that really wasn't the ghost that moved that book. It was the wind. Or they attribute it to demonic activity. The devil made me do it. However, are these the only two options? Well, the church has never definitely settled this question. Even the greatest theologians disagree on this. St. Augustine, for instance, said no. St. Thomas Aquinas said yes. So it's very fascinating that even the saints disagreed. But the church has affirmed on numerous occasions that apparitions of deceased saints, as well as their messages, are real. What does that mean? That means that we're dealing with something real here. The church has also affirmed that there are evil spirits. So we have good and we have evil so don't go looking for them. All right, ghost, the word ghost comes from the old English word related to the German word geist. So when we have poltergeist, polter means rumble, and geist means spirit, so you have a rumbling spirit. That's what a poltergeist is. So let's look at our next slide. Remember this old famous movie, right? The poltergeist. And uh, I think that's the one where she said they're here, right? I think, I don't know. I don't remember, but that was a famous movie. And it scared people because we think of the demonic. We think of demons, but ghosts are not demons. The demonic angels, the fallen angels are different. This is what's interesting, and we're going to tell you about who the ghosts are in a minute. So Christians believe in spirits, but that could be God, he's a spirit, angel, he's a spirit, or all angels are spirits, souls of the deceased, humans, they're spirits, um, they all qualify as spirits. Now, <clears throat> it makes sense then, because at the death, a soul separates from the body, all right, this is what happens until the resurrection. It says this in the Bible, Revelation 20. All right. Now, Peter Kreef, the good uh, Kraft, the philosopher I've quoted sometimes before, suggests, and most church teaching agrees, that there's three kinds of ghosts. So this is where it gets good. So Father, what are you talking about? There's three kinds of ghosts, he said, and church teaching affirms this. They. They, they come from each of the places of the afterlife, heaven, hell, and purgatory. So there could be ghosts that are coming from the good by God, from heaven, what we call ghosts, from purgatory asking for prayers, and even the demonic, and we'll talk about why. Let's look at these three. All right, let's look at our next slide. So the three kinds of ghosts are a soul in purgatory, a damned soul, believe it or not, in hell, and we will tell why they're a ghost or could be a ghost, and then a saint or an angel mistaken as a ghost. What does this mean? All right, let's talk about these. First, the soul in purgatory. This is the most familiar kind. They are the ones that seem to be suffering and, and are coming for something. Usually they try to get your attention in the middle of the night with bumps or knocks on the door or or noises in, in your house. A lot of times they're asking for prayers. They're going through purification and they need prayer to get to heaven. So these ghosts would seem to be the ones who just barely made it to purgatory and need a lot of help. All right, maybe a suicide victim, for instance. Now, second. There are malicious and deceptive spirits. This is the second kind, the damned soul. Not demons now, but a damned human soul. They are malicious. They are deceptive. And because they are deceptive, they hardly ever appear malicious. They trick you, all right? They are probably the ones that we conjure up at seances. That's why you want to avoid that stuff. We'll talk about that. They probably come from hell. And even the chance of them coming from hell should be enough to discourage us from trying to contact them, okay? Now, it is also credible that this may occur sometimes to help us, believe it or not. Sometimes God may send a soul from hell to appear to you. Why? To warn you. Remember the gospel passage of the great chasm with Abraham and the, and the rich man, or Lazarus and the, and the poor man? Remember? This is a very much, or the rich man, um, uh, this is very important because sometimes God will allow even a damned soul to wake us up, to even scare us, so it sets us on the right track. So this could be a ghost. It may even be permitted to appear to us as a warning. And then third are the bright and happy ghosts. But they're really not ghosts. They're they're happy spirits of dead friends and family that you may be miserable because you don't know if they made it to heaven or not, and they appear to you to say, Mom, I'm okay. A lot of people see these spirits. Their son who was killed in a car wreck or maybe even took his own life, and after a lot of time in purgatory, maybe in heaven, and now appears to his parents and says, I'm okay. A lot of people have reported this, especially even spouses who appear out of God's will, not our will, right, with a message of hope and love. They come from heaven. I'm okay. I'm okay, saying this to their spouse or their, their, their parents. All right, Unlike purgatorial ghosts, that was the first kind, remember, that comes from purgatory, who come back primarily for their own sake, these coming from heaven, these bright and happy ghosts, come back for the sake of us, right, to the living people, to tell them all is okay, all is okay. And so this is important. Now, they are imitated, though, by evil spirits, you got to be careful because these evil spirits, the human damned souls can be very deceptive as we said, and they will say, oh, everything's good when you're actually not good. When you're on the path to maybe destruction, maybe you're, you're living an immoral life and you're not going to church and receiving the sacraments, but he's going to appear and say, everything's good. That's a lie. So you have to discern. Remember the devil can appear as the angel of light right? But the deception works only one way. Here's what's important for you to remember. The fake can deceive you in thinking that they are good, genuine, but the genuine and the good never appears as evil. You catch that? The evil will sometimes fake you out in the good, appearing to be good, but the good will never appear as evil. So if you run into an evil spirit, it is an evil spirit. You want to run, all right? <laughs> so, a good soul, if you are, if you're in a state of grace, you'll be able to discern this. But a good soul will not continue to scare you. You might be frightened at first, like Mary. Remember the angel Gabriel? But that was an angel. said, Don't be afraid. And, 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 and same with Joseph. Don't be afraid. Now, Chris Sparks makes a good point. He's one of our theologians that. Uh, helped collect some data because we're going back to seminary here. And I didn't have a lot of seminary notes on ghosts. So I went, I did some um, uh, research on uh, Catholic answers. I talked to Chris Sparks, my theologian. I pulled up my uh, my old seminary notes. And so you're getting kind of a good hodgepodge here. But anyway, Chris Sparks said, if it's the devil, he will come and everything will look good. You know, the, the narrow or the, the wide road of destruction is filled with roses and pleasures. And everything will look that, that way, but it will end in fear and tragedy. That's when you get tricked by the devil. But Chris says if it's from heaven, it usually starts a little scary. Remember Joseph and Mary, the, the angel again said, don't be afraid. But it always ends with joy, like Mary and the apostles too right, when they saw Jesus as a ghost, at first they were scared, and then Jesus said, be at peace. So this is what we have to realize. So if you see a ghost, the best thing to do is the same thing as you would with a holy soul. Pray. Pray for them. So a saint should not be mistaken uh, for a bad ghost if you are wise and you know how to discern. You would know that some soul from heaven, a saint, is good. And only if you're not in a state of grace will you run thinking they're evil. Because it will be revealed that they're good. They're of God. And if you're in a state of grace, you'll be able to recognize what is of God. Remember, my sheep recognize me. So if you're in a state of grace, going to the sacraments, not living in sin, you'll be able to tell that that ghost is of God and from heaven. And not really a ghost, but like an angel or one of your loved ones that a God is, has in heaven now appearing to you. All right, <clears throat> now, heavenly spirits eventually convince us that they are good. So even the good spirits appear ghost-like because they are spirits. Uh, they don't have a body in their realm. They're, they're right now complete without a body, and eventually they'll get that body in the resurrection. But in heaven, these spirits are not ghosts to each other. They're real They only appear as ghosts to us because they're in a different realm. Their realm in heaven, they're complete in a different way. And so one can't be a ghost in in, in his own realm because they're in a different worldly realm. All right, this is good stuff. Now, what are ghosts? Let's now get into the nitty-gritty. All right, what are ghosts? Okay, now, in sacred scripture, we read of spirits... Of human beings appearing to other living human beings. What do I mean? All right, you remember the first chapter of Samuel, uh, chapter 20, I'm sorry, first book of Samuel, chapter 28. Endor calls up the ghost of the prophet Samuel. Saul tells Endor, call up Samuel. We're gonna talk more about this. What was his motive? It was not good. So you got to be careful calling up the dead, and we're going to talk more about this. What about Judas Maccabeus? He met the ghost of Onias, the high priest, in a vision. That's 2 Maccabees 15. Let's look at the next slide. What about this one? The disciples saw Moses and Elijah. Now, Elijah had not yet died, but Moses certainly did. They were with Jesus on Mount Tabor. Now, if Moses was dead, how did he communicate with Jesus? Because the saints are alive. Again, we'll talk more about that. What about the fact of, and I'm talking about examples here, in case you're just joining us, of ghosts appearing in Scripture to humans. Now, what about the disciples who thought Jesus himself was a ghost? Remember that in Matthew 14? They said they saw Jesus out on the water. Remember, walking on the water in the storm. They they thought it was a ghost, all right? Appearing after his resurrection, though, Jesus didn't tell them that ghosts don't exist. Jesus just said, I'm not one of them. I'm not a ghost. So Jesus kind of confirmed that ghosts exist, because if they didn't, he would have said, there's no such thing as ghosts, And when the apostles saw him, they thought Jesus was a ghost. He said, I am not a ghost. This is Matthew 14. Um, And then we also saw it uh, Luke 24. Now, Scripture has spirits manifesting on earth, and it never records Jesus debunking it. Jesus never debunks ghosts, if you will, as spirits of human past deceased appearing to living humans now as I said Saint Augustine he attributed most of this to angelic visions whereas Aquinas um, Aquinas said that they are real um, Aquinas said with God's permission these sometimes these separated souls will appear to men and and this is some of the things that that Um, the two disagreed on. So it's not exactly church teaching. So not only did Aquinas believe in ghosts, but he encountered them himself. His brother appeared to him, right? One of the community brothers appeared to him, and he didn't even realize that that brother had died yet, this being Aquinas. And also Aquinas' deceased sister also appeared to him. Now, the possibility of visits from deceased souls does not explain every spiritual encounter, however. Now, the demons can get to us. They're spiritual. So I'm not totally thinking ghosts and demons are the same. They're different. But they both are spirits, and they both can get to you. Here's the thing. Temptation is a way a demon can get to you without having to go through a human soul. Angels those are demons, those are uh, excuse me, demons are fallen angels, right? They have appeared as well, interacting with objects, not just people. let's look at our next slide. Catholics who deal with the paranoia sometimes say evil hauntings are from the demonic. Look at that haunted house there, right? It's one of the documented haunted house. I don't know what it takes for a house to be documented haunted, but but anyway, this is an example of a haunted house. Now, some hauntings are demonic, but some hauntings might be a good soul, a good soul who needs your prayer. So if you pray and they go away, it's probably a good soul asking for prayer because that's all they wanted. So if you see a soul and it pray and you pray for it and it goes away, that's probably a good soul. Because again, that's all it wanted. You know, when I was in Steubenville, let's take a look at our next slide. When I was in Steubenville, Ohio, I was a postulant. And that is where our Marian house is in, near Franciscan University. And I was, um, I was there for a while and uh, for a year actually working on my philosophy. That's our actual house, that picture that Brother Mark just showed. And um, the very first night I was ever there, I heard footsteps in the hallway. So the next morning at breakfast, I was like, who was up in the hallway? I'm a very light sleeper. And it woke me up at like two in the morning, three in the morning, I think it was actually. And I said, who was roaming in the hallways? And nobody said they were. The next night I was woken up at three o'clock in the morning. And this time I heard footsteps go right up to my door. And by now I was afraid to open it. So the next morning again, I said, "Who's up in the hallway?" Again, nobody said they were. So the third consecutive night, I was there in Steubenville. by now I'm getting a little weary. And at three o'clock, I'm woken up and I hear footsteps come right to the door. And the doorknob starts turning. By now, I'm really scared. And I was too afraid to open it. So the next morning, I said, What is going on? And one of the priests in the house said, Well, grab your rosary and your crucifix and start praying. So again, the next night, it happens again. And I hear the footsteps come up to the door. I see the doorknob turning. I had locked the door. And by this time, I got my rosary in one hand, I got my crucifix in the other hand, and the doorknobs turning. And this time, I couldn't resist. I prayed to God, the Blessed Mother, for protection, and I whipped open the door, and there was nobody there. So I told Father Don Calloway about it the next morning at breakfast. And he decided to do a mass in the house. And we found out a lady had died. And so a lady had died years before we owned the house. And he knew better than I did, and he started thinking: Is this soul, is this a soul asking for prayers? Maybe a mass. So Father Don set a mass in the house for this woman that we found out died there, and we never had another bump or footstep or anything. It was an innocent ghost asking for prayers. Now let's watch a film of just a two and a half-minute clip of a ghost story of a Catholic ghost story with Jimmy Akin.
1: I researched a case that happened in, um, here in America in, back in the 1790s. Uh, this is a story called The Wizard Clip. And I actually did, an, I did a Mysterious World episode on this, but this is an early American Catholic ghost story. In, it, at the time it was in Virginia, now it's a town in West Virginia. Um, but there was a family who were not Catholic and they took in an Irish traveler And while the traveler was staying with them, um, he got sick and he said, I'm Catholic, can you please get me a priest to give me the last rites? Well, at the time, there were almost no Catholics in America, and it was very hard to get a priest, and they didn't even have a church, a Catholic church in the area. Uh, They would have these roaming, you know, itinerant priests who would, like, come around and say mass in somebody's house. Well, since this family wasn't Catholic, and there was a lot of anti-Catholic prejudice, and it was really hard to get a priest, they didn't. So the guy dies without the last rites, and the night he dies, bizarre, bizarre things start happening, Um, and they keep happening, and they start getting more bizarre. And eventually they brought in—and some of them were destructive, but others weren't—and the family eventually brought in priests to deal with the situation, Mm -hmm. like said, mass in the house and did an exorcism, and the destructive stuff stopped. But— the non-destructive stuff kept going and there would be this voice that would exhort them to pray for the souls in purgatory and the whole family became Catholic. And, um, uh, this story by the way is called the wizard clip because they would hear as part of the phenomena, they would hear this weird clipping sound, Mm. um, like scissors being or shears being clipped. And today, uh, the town is actually often called wizard clip and the natives are called clippers. And they have little plaques all over the town commemorating the event. But it was investigated by by, uh, American churchmen at the time who thought this was quite real, including uh, the Archbishop of Baltimore at the time, uh, Archbishop O'Connor, the first bishop in America. So it's an example of how uh, these kind of ghostly phenomena can happen and can be can be pretty well documented.
0: All right. So a very interesting story, or we would call it a Catholic ghost story. Now, if a ghost is understood to be a deceased human spirit that appears on earth, we cannot simply write off all ghost stories as simply delusions or natural phenomenon like the wind or even demonic because human souls without bodies are not demons. And so they may have a good message or a bad, but ex- such experiences could be from God. So we have angels, we have these human souls without bodies that could appear. And so these are spirits that could be good or bad, good intention or bad intention. Thus, each situation is different. Therefore, you need to handle them all differently. And you shouldn't get involved talk to a priest. So God alone is due worship. Good angels should be given reverence. Yes, the Bible tells us that. And bad angels, they should be avoided. In a similar way, we should do the same with human spirits. All right. If God sends them to us, then we can embrace it as a gift of our child that died or or something like that. But we don't go seeking them. Why? Because they could deceive us and the evil one might appear in its place. All right, let's look at our next slide. There's something in the Bible that we Catholics are always accused of, and it's called necromancy. Necromancy. Now, that's a big word that appears in Exodus, and people non-Catholics say, look at you Catholics are guilty of necromancy. Well, what is it? Well, regarding deceased human spirits, that's what ghosts are, Although the church affirms proper veneration and prayer with the saints, those are deceased humans, it forbids divination, not divinization. That's where we join God. Divinization is where we unite with the Trinity. That's our goal of of our existence. But not divination. It's different. That or necromancy is forbidden by the Bible. Why? What is it? All right. Divination, not divinization, where we join in the Trinity, but divination is seeking knowledge of the future or an unknown, something unknown that I can get by supernatural means. All right. Necromancy is summoning the dead or other practices meant to seek forbidden knowledge. And the Bible, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, says stay away from this. Necromancy is not what Catholics do. It's not what we do because the church, guess why? Because necromancy is trying to reach out to the dead. I mean to the uh, to the true dead, meaning dead spiritually. Remember Jesus says let the dead bury the dead? He means the dead in spirit. But we Catholics don't do this because the church through the canonization process. This is the point of canonization. Canonization isn't just a way of saying, oh, how neat to have a relic. Canonization is a critically important process of the church to declare that somebody is in heaven. Not, and I shouldn't say that, the church doesn't declare they're in heaven. God does, but the church announces it. And then that means they're safe to pray to. Why? Because they're alive They're not dead. So don't let non-Catholics tell you we pray to dead people. The dead are the condemned, the, the damned. That's not who we're reaching out to. So necromancy is not what the Catholics do because the church through canonization has guaranteed that these are alive in Christ. They're not dead, right? Jesus said, God is the God of the living, not the dead. Remember, we said Moses on Mount Tabor. He had already died on this earth but was he dead? No, Jesus was talking to him. And so, this is what we mean by they are alive. The reason we don't call up our relatives and we try to go to a seance is because we don't know their fate. If the church hasn't canonized them, then they could possibly be a lost soul. Then, conjuring them, conjuring up a damned soul, now you're guilty of necromancy. But that's not what the church does. This is important. Even Satan could appear as that person. Remember the movie Exorcist? Where the the priest was talking and and Satan could even appear in their place and it was his mother and she goes, Timmy, Timmy, to the priest. And the priest is like, you're not my mother. That's what Satan can do. So if they appear to you, you have to look and discern. All right, If they appear in a good and holy and unexpected way, then it's usually a gift from God. But if you try invoking them and controlling the future and getting forbidden knowledge, it's possible that the devil or evil will respond. You're opening yourself up for trouble. Commanding them to come to you is different. That's the problem. This is why Ouija boards and seances and things like that are wrong. Let's look at our next slide. You know, this is the Ouija board. People think it's just a fun game. Well, you know, sometimes God will protect us. I'm ashamed to admit this, but it's true. Look at that Ouija board there. When I was a kid, believe it or not, when I was eight years old, my sister and I, I remember doing it with my mom. And I remember my mom turning the lights off and lighting candles, and we were talking to this stupid Ouija board. I was eight, my sister was ten. And my mom has a great heart. I don't think she was doing anything that she thought was wrong. She didn't know. But you know, that can open portals. That can open portals to the demonic. You know, the true story of the exorcist was not a girl, but a boy. And I read that account in seminary. That's where I'm getting a lot of these notes here to you today. A lot of what you're hearing today is from the work of Catholic Answers, Chris Sparks, but also my seminary notes. And I read the transcript of the real exorcist movie uh, of what the true story was based on. It was a boy. And you know what caused his possession? The Ouija board. Playing with his aunt. God scared the daylights out of me because I was like, my gosh, I did that with my mom and sister. But for some reason, God protected us. So God can protect us. Now, there's a difference, though, in praying to the saints and conjuring the dead. The Ouija board is like conjuring the dead. What is the difference? All right, the difference between talking in a saint and some dead that you're conjuring up or that you, that, that, that you invoke in your house, there is a difference, The Bible says not to communicate with the dead, meaning the damned, right? The dead. But praying to the saints is not communication with the dead because the saints are not dead. They are declared by the church to be alive. This is why we can have trust. The dead would be the damned. And so you see the difference there? So what difference does it make if one spirit is in heaven and the others in your house it makes a big difference because forbidding the occult contact with the supernatural realm is what the church is forbidding. All right, they are forbidding the methods and the techniques usually used in summoning the devil, uh, the, the the bad spirits, and the departed human beings or other spirits. All right, let's look at our next slide. Examples include things like I said, Ouija boards, crystal balls Seances, mediums. Look at your picture there. That's what's going on there. That's trying to take control. The Bible is forbidding that. The Bible is not forbidding, however, conversation, so to speak. All right, between those in this life and those in the next that are good, aka the saints. They have been declared good. That's one of the purpose of canonizations is to declare these are people you can reach out to, meaning asking for their prayer, not conjuring them up out of hell. All right. It's only forbidding the Bible only forbids attempts to manipulate the supernatural realm to obtain forbidden power or future knowledge. The church teaches calling up the dead. No, what I just read is the catechism. Twenty-one sixteen, and the catechism forbids the church forbids attempts to manipulate the supernatural realm by reaching out and getting forbidden power or um, forbidden knowledge that's what the bible condemns and that's what the catholic church condemns so please don't let anybody tell you that we can't pray to saints because they're dead people No, they're alive the dead are the damned. Let's look at our next slide. Remember we talked about Saul. Here is Saul's attempt to speak with the dead prophet Samuel through that medium Endor. This is 1 Samuel uh, chapter 28. But it wasn't Saul's desire to just simply speak with Samuel that was his sin. It just wasn't a sin just because he wanted to reach out to Samuel. It was because the forbidden means he used. He went to a medium. He went to a psychic. That replaces God. If you do it through God, it's okay. And what do we pray to the saints? Through God. It would have been fine for Saul to have prayed to Samuel, asking Samuel for his intercession But instead, Saul went to a medium to conjure up Samuel, to control the situation and gain special knowledge. This is what's forbidden. God may sometimes allow us to reach out and contact. Occasionally, he'll allow it to work. In other words, to bring good out of evil. In this case, he did. God allowed Samuel to issue a warning to Saul that he would die. To straighten up Saul. God used it for the good. But that doesn't make it lawful or right. He did it the wrong way. He was disobedient. He went to a psychic and a medium. And a medium. When you do that, you're replacing God. If you do it through God, you're okay. So let's look at the next slide. This is why prayers to the saints is entirely different. Why? Because there's no attempt to conjure up the dead, the damned spirits. These are the good, declared good by the church, so you have guarantee. There's no attempt to seek forbidden knowledge. When I pray to a saint, I'm not trying to determine which stock will double in price tomorrow so I can become rich and live a life of debauchery. That's not why I'm praying to the saints. I'm not praying to the saints to know the winning lottery numbers tomorrow. So again, I can become rich and lead a life of drugs and sex. That's not. When we pray, we aren't conjuring. We are communicating with the saints. We're part of the body of Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. We're part of the same body as the saints. Christ is the head. The saint might be the left arm, and, and we're the foot. The saints are the right and the left arms, and we're the toenails. But we're part of the same body. And your toes communicate with you, the head. In our body of the body of Christ, we all communicate together. So it's not communication that's evil. It's conjuring up the evil of the dead. Now, saints are present to us just like our foot is present in our body. But the dead are not part of this body. Hell is not part of the body of Christ. Hell is not part of the body of Christ. So all that is done is that the petitioner is honoring God's friend and asking that saint for prayers to God. Hey man, help me out here. You're a good saint. You've been declared living by the church. You're not dead. You're alive in heaven. You're close to God because you've led a life of virtue. Help me out here. Does that sound evil? And by what do we mean by help me out here? Not their power. We're asking them to go to God and say, God, help me. Have you ever had a friend come to you and say, listen, I got a friend named John. I've never met John before. But cameraman Giuseppe comes up and says, would you help my friend John? Well, because Giuseppe's a good friend or brother Mark or brother Ken, if they came up to me and said, hey, my, uh, my old neighbor from when I was a kid is in town would you help him out? He needs to get a book published. Well, because he's, you're close to me, because brother Mark's close to me, brother Ken's close to me, Giuseppe, cameraman Giuseppe's close to me. Then they come to me on on behalf of their friend. That's all a saint does. They go to God. They don't do it on their own. You see the difference here? Remember, pray to doesn't necessarily mean to worship. Everybody says you pray to the saints, that means you worship them. To pray to doesn't mean worship necessarily, it could. To pray to means to ask. Our courts right here in the United States used to say the defendant prays that the court will drop the charges. That didn't mean the court was being worshipped. It meant that the plaintiff was asking the court. And so this is important. So prayer to the saints is about relationship. It's magic that's about control, black magic. You know, it's the control is the issue. You know, the devil, one of the saints described it as the devil is a rapist. God is a lover. Why do we look at the loving marital act between a man and a woman in a marriage is a beautiful thing. But why do we see rape as a crime? The devil is a rapist. God is a lover. Why? In possession, the devil rapes to control the soul. Rape is forcibly taking that which is to be a gift. And so the place occupied in the soul is meant for God alone, and the devil tries to take it. That's possession. So let's look at our next slide. Our next slide. Is it sinful to want to learn more about ghosts and demons? Like, How is this levitation happening? See the picture? How's the levitation happening? Is it a sin to want to learn more? All right, ghosts are, are, as we said, are human souls without bodies. Something that will happen to us at death, right? Wanting to pray for the repose of the faithful departed and others who have died is a good thing, all right? In addition, asking for intercession of the saints is a good thing. So there's some communication with our faithful departed. Notice we say faithful departed. That's why the church is very clear in the mass to say we pray for the faithful departed. Because if they're a damned soul, we don't want communication with them. In addition, asking the prayerful intercession Uh, and learning about ghosts and demons, because they are real as part of our Catholic faith. So it's not a bad thing, but the key is don't become overly curious or preoccupied with magic and demons. You're going to get burned, all right? Now, things like Harry Potter. All right, I don't want to get into Harry Potter too much, the church has never officially made a statement about Harry Potter. There's been some comments that John Paul II accepted it, but Benedict rejected it. There's been a lot of that stuff, but never an official statement on Harry Potter. But all you have to do is be careful. Because if your children have a natural curiosity, right, then it could lead them into the occult. So be careful. If you think your child could handle it, that's one thing. But if you think it could lead them astray that's a difference that's a different thing okay so you got to be very 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 careful now it would be dangerous if you have a really curious child and has a natural curiosity because it could lead them into the occult seeking wizardry power rather than that of god all right even priests got to be careful Because priests who show a desire to tackle demons, I can't wait to be an exorcist and and I'm going to jump into this, they often get burned. A true exorcist shouldn't be bragging about wanting to take on the demons in his humility. See, personally, unless I'm commanded under obedience, I would never seek exorcist ministry. Because I know I would get chewed up. Now if God asked me to or my superiors asked me to and it's an act of obedience, then yes. But I don't want to mess in that realm because I know I could get burned. But we pray. What is not good is seeking that. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to take charge. I'm going to make those devils flee. Uh Uh-uh. You're going to get toasted. Only God does, takes charge. What is not good is seeking out communication with the dead, as we said through things like seances. They are problematic, and that is why people confuse our Catholic faith. They think when we Catholics talk about ghosts or praying for the dead or learning about the saints or asking for intercession, that we're guilty of necromancy. We're not. Demons are fallen angels, and thus are pure spirits that have chosen against God. They are powerful and they are malevolent. They're evil. So we must make ourselves protected. Stay away from them. All right. Rather, we must be weary that they are prowling about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Even St. James and St. Peter said, stay away. It's good to know ourselves and your weakness. If you know your weakness is alcohol, stay away from the bar. If you know your weakness is pornography, stay away from the computer and the privacy of your own room. These are things that they tell us. Discern how the demons and the devils and the ghosts are even trying to get to you to fall. At the same time, we must not become preoccupied. God is in charge. God is in control. Instead, our minds, as St. Paul tells us, should be focused on the good. Let's look at our next slide. The laity should not get involved with the spiritual warfare that is reserved for priests, like exorcisms. All right? This is important. Don't overstep our bounds. Now, what about praying to dead relatives? All right. The sin of necromancy, which is called out in the Bible, is not just speaking to the dead, even though that's how most people believe it is. Necromancy is the attempt through occult practices to contact and communicate with the deceased person in the way that brings that person back from the dead by your power, not God's power. You see a problem with that? Yeah, that's problematic and that's not what the church, Catholic Church does. The Catholic Church never tells me to hold a seance and invoke by my own power to raise my grandma from the dead that's necromancy that's what the bible condemns and that is not what the catholic church does speaking to a saint or a deceased relative or friend through prayer is not necromancy because christian prayer relies upon what jesus all right he's the intercessor between god and man And he facilitates the communication and the conversation. In fact, one reason why it's a sin to go to a fortune teller for Catholics is because you're using them as the mediator, the go-between with the dead person. It's denying Christ as the true mediator. As the Bible tells us, Jesus is the only mediator in 1 Timothy, I think, chapter 2. When we pray to the saints, it's all through Jesus. It's making Jesus the mediator because you're asking the saint to go to Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the only way to the Father, but there's many ways to Jesus. You can go to Jesus through St. Anthony. You can go to Jesus through St. Faustina. You can go through G- to Jesus through your living relatives. So this is what we, we have to make clear. As for whether or not you can ask deceased relatives to intercede for you, We may hope that they are in a position to do so, meaning heaven or purgatory, not hell. But unlike canonized saints, we don't know for sure. So be careful, all right? Whether or not the holy souls in purgatory can intercede for us is not for sure. We don't know. It's an open question. But there is no harm in asking for their intercession and trusting in God to answer our prayers in some manner through their help. You get that? Our primary obligation, though, to your deceased relatives is not to have them help you, it's you to help them until they become a canonized saint. Then it's all about their help for you. That's why we have saints. All right? The holy souls, you should be praying for them. So when they get to heaven, they'll pray for you, they build an army for you. I said in the homily today how amazing would it be? that if you've been praying for the holy souls, and those are sometimes who the ghosts are, holy souls asking for prayer, and you start doing your daily plenary indulgence, which I did a talk on that last week, and you start praying these souls out of purgatory, when you get get an army in heaven that's praying for you on earth, man, you're going to have tons of grace, tons of opportunity to receive God's mercy, and they'll help you. So, They can pray for us when they get to heaven. So build an army now. Help. Those souls can help us when they get to heaven especially. So do this. Catholics, well, oh, they're guilty of praying to the dead. Really? Now, this is not conjuring. This is not like going to a psychic. It's not what we Catholics do. The church forbids psychics. The church, because again, they replace Jesus. Oh, well, this is church teaching. They teach you to conjure the dead. The Catholic Church teaches this. Really? Let's read what the Catholic Church really teaches. Let's look at Catechism 2116. Let's look on your screen. All forms of divination, now remember, not divinization, divination, trying to get knowledge of the future, are to be rejected The church is right here condemning it, calling up and conjuring the dead and the damned. Recourse to Satan or the demons, conjuring up the dead or other practices falsely supported to unveil the future. Now here's one people don't know. Consulting horoscopes, astrology, palm reading. Interpretation of omens and lots, the phenomena of clairvoyance and recourse to mediums all conceal a desire for power over time, history, and in the last analysis, other human beings, as well as a wish to conciliate hidden powers. They contradict the honor, respect, and loving fear that we owe God alone you want to believe a non-catholic telling you catholic church teaches to conjure up the dead and guilty of necromancy quote catechism twenty one sixteen. no we do not that's church teaching well what if what if this what if it is nothing more than asking a holy soul to intercede for us is that okay as I started to talk about it, the liturgical prayers of the church never ask the souls in purgatory to pray for us, even though I have. I have, because they're on their way to heaven. No soul in purgatory is going to be condemned to hell. So I personally believe there's a value in asking the holy souls to intercede for us, because they are saints. They just have to be purified yet but why not go right to the canonized saints, right? However, prominent theologians have been on both sides of this. The consensus seems to be that while souls in purgatory are aware of our prayers, it's possible that God at times reveals them our prayers and sometimes not. Sometimes he doesn't reveal it to them. You have a better shot with the saints, But if you have a really good loved one that you want to ask to help, yes, it's not disallowed by the church. However, because their state is such that they are in great need of our prayers, the church commands that we first pray for them before asking them to help you. So keep that in mind. If you want help from a a lost son or daughter, first pray for them, and then you can see how they can help you. Let's look at some examples here. Let's look at some saint ghost stories. Let's look at this. The ghosts appearing to the saints. Let's look at our next slide. Y'all know this saint? Saint Padre Pio. Saint Padre Pio has some great stories. A soul once appeared to Padre Pio and said, I am Pietro di Moro. I died in a fire on September 18th, 1908. Now picture this here. Padre Pio, he's there in the monastery. This soul comes up to him, gives him his name, and says, I died in a fire. Think of how surreal that would be. Think of how scary that could be. Meeting somebody who comes to you and says, Here's who I am Pietro di Moro, and I died in a fire on September 18th, 1908. The man said he had lived and died in that particular room of the monastery during the time that the monastery was being used as a home for the elderly. Padre Pio asked the man what he wanted. And the man said, I'm coming from purgatory. The Lord has allowed me to come to ask you to offer for me the holy mass tomorrow morning. Wow. Thanks to this mass, I will be able to enter heaven, he said. Wow. Padre Pio agreed he would. He saw the man out of the monastery, walked out with him, at which time, he said, he became fully aware of having spoken to a deceased person because going out into the churchyard, the man who was beside him suddenly disappeared. And Padre Pio said, I must confess, I was somewhat frightened even Padre Pio, but we don't stay frightened. Sometimes the good spirits can scare us at first, like Mary or Joseph, but then they are at peace. Padre Pio told the story to the monastery superior, and they went to the registry there at the monastery, and they looked it up, and they found this man's name, Pietro di Moro. His name was found, and the cause of death, he died in a fire. Wow. Padre Pio also had another story. He once saw someone in the monastery who identified himself as a friar who had done his novitiate there in the monastery. And he was now roaming the halls, not at peace, because of lack of obedience or or his duties. And listen to this. This is fascinating to me. Padre Pio talked to the soul, and the soul said, For obedience, I received the task to keep the main altar clean and orderly during my year of novitiate. That's just like our brothers here who clean the altar and take care of the high, the altar there and the, and the uh, tabernacle. And he said, Unfortunately, many times, I was disrespectful to Jesus in the sacrament by passing in front of the altar without revering the Most Holy One kept in the tabernacle. How many times have we just walked right by the tabernacle laughing and giggling and talking and not even paying any attention to our Lord? I've done it by mistake. I'm sure you've done it by mistake. This soul told Padre Pio that for this grave reason, For this grave omission, I am still in purgatory. Now, the Lord, in his infinite goodness, sends me to you, Padre Pio, so that you may determine how much longer I must suffer in the flames of love. Help me, he appealed. Now listen to what Padre Pio said. Padre Pio said to the soul from purgatory that he would have to wait until the morning mass, I've already done Mass. That sounds like some of us priests, doesn't it? Well, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I've already done Mass. You are cruel, the soul yelled back at Padre Pio. You're cruel. The soul shouted, screamed, and then disappeared. That wailing, Padre Pio said, created a wound in my heart that I have never forgotten that I have felt and shall feel all my life, said Padre Pio. I, who through divine delegation could have sent that soul immediately to heaven, condemned him to remain another night in the flames of purgatory. Wow. Faustina, can't forget her. Faustina received a vision, a visit from Jesus concerning souls ghosts she saw him upon the cross now this is Faustina seeing Jesus on the cross his sacred blood flowing from his hand and his feet and his side she described it in her diary quote Jesus said to me all this is for the salvation of souls consider well my daughter what you are doing for their salvation this is Jesus talking to Faustina I answered, Jesus, when I look at your suffering, I see that I'm doing next to nothing for the salvation of souls. And the Lord said to me, know, my daughter, that your silent day-to-day martyrdom, in complete submission to my will, ushers many souls into heaven. What does that mean, day-to-day martyrdom? It means exactly what you are doing. Every day, Father, I get up. I have to hassle, rush getting ready, getting my husband off to work, getting the kids off to school. Then I have to get ready and I have to fight traffic to get to work myself. Then I have to struggle with a terrible job that I don't like just to put food on the table. Then I got to come home and I got to stop at the grocery store, run errands, make appointments, then come home. Then I got to prepare dinner. Then I got to fight with my husband over bills. Then I got to help children with their homework. By then I'm exhausted and the day's over. And then I have to do it all over again tomorrow. That is what Jesus is talking about in day-to-day martyrdom. You offer that up, you can save souls just by being faithful in those duties. That's amazing. Listen to that message. So, you can help souls. Have masses said. You see a ghost? A ghost keeps bothering you in your house? A ghost keeps knocking or you swear you see a spirit? Have a mass said for them. They might have been somebody who died in your house or a friend or a relative, a family or friend, those who are abandoned in relation to what Jesus told Saint Faustina, offer up things for the souls or for the ghost you see. offer it up like standing in a long line at the traffic in traffic or in the grocery store. Those are things that bug me the most. My impatience with traffic jams because I can handle it if the traffic jam is on my side of the expressway. The one that drives me nuts is when our traffic jam is caused by an accident on the other side because everybody is gawking and wants to see the accident. And I get so frustrated. Well, instead of getting frustrated, pray for the souls, pray for those who might have been harmed in the accident and offer up the frustration of your traffic jam for the release of those souls. That might be the ghost who's knocking at your door at night, asking for you to do something like that. Most of all, have masses. Pray a rosary for them. Say short prayers like, Jesus, have mercy on that soul. Remember, always to offer it up. Now, let's look at our next slide, because here's St. Faustina with the little mystic and the, and the, and the, and the wisps of the, of the souls. Right, St. Faustina talks a lot about this. Do you know that St. Faustina saw and prayed for ghosts? St. Faustina prayed, saw, and, and uh, prayed for ghosts. In number 58 in the diary, and what is a ghost again? If you're late joining us, a ghost is a human soul without a body that has died, but now may be allowed to appear to us on earth. In number 58 of her diary, she said that there was a sister in her community who had died two months earlier, came to her. She urged me not to cease praying for the souls in purgatory. So this is a ghost coming to Faustina saying, don't stop praying for the souls in purgatory. Then in Diary 5.16, she says, a certain soul came to me, woke me up by tapping on the night table. I bet you've all had this tapping on the night table, and asked me to pray for her. I wanted to ask who she was, but I mortified my curiosity. This is why things like Harry Potter are wrong, because we can get in the curiosity of wanting to be wizards and things like that. Now, core in itself, the church has never condemned it, but it's got to be careful. So she said, I mortified my curiosity, enjoying this little mortification of not asking who this person was, to my prayer, and offered them for her. Wow, Faustina. Here's another one, Diary 519. In the evening, these souls came and asked me to pray for them. What souls? Ghosts. Human souls without bodies. Not angels, not demons, not the Holy Spirit. Human souls without bodies. This is why Mary's not a ghost, because she has a body with her human soul. But in the evening, these souls came and asked me to pray for them, and I did pray very much for them. In the evening, when the procession was returning from the cemetery, I saw a great multitude of souls walking with us from the cemetery into the chapel and praying with us. The last several nights, Brother Mark and I have been going in the month of November to pray for the holy souls of our faithful departed here at our graveyard here in the National Shrine, Father Seraphim, Father uh, Martin, Father um, uh, several of the priests who've died recently, Father Leary Dunn, um, Father Walter Gergel. These are beautiful priests, but we go there, we pray those rosaries. We stop at each grave. And we pray, we pray, we go to the next grave, we pray, we go to the next grave. So this is what Faustina was saying to do. Now, how about Diary 520? So the mid-500 diaries are all about this. She said, During the night, a soul that I had already seen before visited me. However, it did not ask me for prayer, but reproached me. That's interesting. Saying that I used to be very haughty and vain. Can you imagine a soul telling Sister Faustina, You're haughty, you're vain. And now you are interceding for others while you yourself still have certain vices? This is a soul talking to Faustina. And Faustina answered, yes, I indeed had been vain and haughty. Who of us haven't been? Even St. Faustina said she was vain and haughty, but not anymore. She said, but that I confessed and had done penance for my stupidity, St. Faustina said. And that I trusted in the goodness of my God, and that I still feel occasionally this was indeliberate and never premeditated, even the smallest things. Still, the soul continued to reproach me, saying, Why are you unwilling to recognize my greatness? Why do you alone not glorify me for my great deeds and as all others do? What's going on here? Then St. Faustina said, then I saw this was Satan under the assumed appearance of this soul. And I said, glory is due to God alone. Be gone, Satan. And in an instant, this soul fell into an abyss, horrible beyond description. And I said to the wretched soul that I would tell the whole church about this. Well, she still is because I just read it. All right, let's go a couple more. After these events, Faustina said, I understood how closely the three stages of a soul's life are bonded together. Listen to this. Where did we say in the beginning the three places ghosts come from? She said, I recognize that the soul's life are bound together. Life on earth, life in purgatory, and life in heaven. It's part of the body of Christ. That's paragraph 594. Now, Faustina once prayed for a dead sister. This is 1382 now in her diary. She said, however, despite the zeal with which I always pray for our deceased sisters, listen to this, this is interesting. You don't think little prayers are much or our plenary indulgences which say you have to do this and this. Oh, Father, that's just a bunch of rules and regulations. No, it's important grace to the soul. St. Faustina says, once I got mixed up, Regarding the number of days, instead of only offering three days of prayer, as the rule directs us to do, I, by mistake, offered only two days. So in other words, Sister Faustina was supposed to pray three days for a certain soul. By mistake, she only prayed two days. Guess what happened? On the next day, the fourth day, the soul showed up and told me that I still owed her prayers and that she was still in need of them to enter heaven. That's how important it is when we do our plenary indulgences, to do what the church says. I immediately offered the whole day for her, and not just that day, but much more as love of neighbor dictated. In other words, if the church says, for this soul, pray three our fathers and three Hail Marys, or your priest tells you that in the confessional, it's important It's very important. Now, finally, Sister Faustina said, when the soul of a certain young lady came to me one night, she made me aware of her presence and made known to me that she needed my prayer. Again, this is a ghost because it's a soul of a human without a body. I prayed for a while, but her spirit did not leave me. Then I thought to myself, if you are a good spirit, leave me in peace and The indulgences I will gain tomorrow will be for you. At that moment, the spirit left my room and I recognized she was in purgatory. That's paragraph 1723. Again, if it's of the good spirit and they ask you to pray and you pray and they leave, that was a good spirit because they were just asking for prayers. So remember, good spirits will not continue to scare you. Most ghosts are simply asking for prayers. They fit into that category. Now, sometimes there's the bad ones, but demons are most of the time where the trouble comes from. Demons are not ghosts. Ghosts are souls of human, human spirits without the body. Demons are fallen angels. But the demons can cause trouble too. Now, there can be bad souls that go from hell that God allows them to torment us, maybe to wake us up. So sometimes there can be bad spirits, human spirits that are ghosts. So you can have a poltergeist that may harass you. This is rare, but not unprecedented. So let's finish. Last page. Psychics and witches. Ooh, you want to be careful of these. Remember the first commandments. All right? While God can choose to reveal the future to his prophets or to the saints, we as individuals, if we're not a prophet or a saint yet, have to trust in the providence of God through the church and the Bible. While we may have curiosity of what will happen in the future, we don't go running to a fortune teller or your horoscope. That's false. We anchor our lives on God alone. So to try to discover the future through palm reading, tarot cards, fortune telling, or try to control the future through black magic or witchcraft or sorcery violates the first commandment. Because you're putting something else as God. It doesn't have to be Allah or Buddha. It could be that psychic. If you go to a psychic to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow, instead of praying to God, you've put that psychic in place of God. You violated the first commandment. When you open up that horoscope and you think some written article in the paper is going to tell you how your life is going to unfold, that's the same thing. Now, please don't get upset if you've read horoscopes. We do them for fun sometimes, but now you know Don't be worried if you used to read them every day in the past. Say, Father, am I going to hell? No. As Jesus said, nobody condemns you, but go and sin no more. It's just a wake-up call. This is the teaching of the church. A very good one, too. All right, let's look at our next slide. All right, what's our next slide? Let's read the words of Deuteronomy 18. This is right from the Bible. Let there not be found among you anyone who emulates his son or daughter in the fire, meaning the damned, nor a fortune teller, soothsayer, charmer, diviner, or caster of spells, nor one who consults ghosts and spirits or seeks oracles from the dead. Anyone who does such things is an abomination. This is why I started this talk by saying don't reach out to them. A ghost may appear to you, and that's allowed by God. That's different. This is saying in Deuteronomy 18, don't you go to a seance to reach out to them. That's where the danger is, and that's not what our Catholic Church teaches. Our Catholic Church teaches we don't go to a seance or a fortune teller. We go to God. But well, what about the saints, Father? Isn't that praying to the dead? They're not dead. Remember, they're alive. That's why the canonization process is they're a saint in heaven. We know they're alive. You're not communicating with the dead. And also, you're going through Jesus. You're not going through a psychic. It's not necromancy. That's the, that's the important thing. Now, the New Testament also addresses this as well. Paul condemned sorcery in Galatians 5. In Acts of the Apostles, St. Peter rebuked Simon Magus, a magician. He wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit to make himself more powerful. This is um, Acts chapter 8. Now, does that mean all magic is forbidden? If your little child wants to pull a rabbit out of a hat, no, stage magic is totally different. Stage magic can be entertainment. Stage magic is is, is different here. Don Bosco did stage magic. He's a saint. St. John Don Bosco used to perform stage magic, magic, a street magic on the street. That's not what we're talking about. That's innocent entertainment. We're talking about magic as control to control the future and other people, casting spells to destroy somebody else. That's, that's what we're condemned. Well, what about prophecy, Father? Isn't that knowing the future? And didn't God give prophecy as a gift? Yes, it's forbidden if we try to do it through a seance or a fortune teller. But if God gives us the gift as a charism, then it should be a gift. What is forbidden is foretelling the future away from God. Horoscopes and psychics and things like that. All right, to finish, particular concern you should have for witchcraft. Why? Because it's common everywhere right now. Wiccans are, oh, now they're defined as an official religion. It's ridiculous. Particular witchcraft could involve unraveling the future as well as trying to control the future, even place curses. All right, let's look at our next slide. This is funny. Remember that show Bewitched? All right, remember that show? It looked like a little cartoon character, and it was all fun, and it was all nice. Yeah, granted, TV shows like Sabrina and Bewitched may have a lighthearted approach to witches and witchcraft. Nevertheless, don't be fooled. Witchcraft involves producing effects which are beyond one's natural powers. This is sometimes Satan's way of gently bringing it into our culture. Be careful. Through the assistance of powers of the occult and other powers that are not of God. All right? Next slide. This is scary to me. Witchcraft involves... Look at some of these books. Green Witch... Modern guide to witchcraft, how to cast spells, a witch's book of self-care. Seriously? That's some crazy stuff. And so this witchcraft involves a pact with the devil, or at least some form of evil spirit, for assistance. Witchcraft has actual rites, R-I-T-E-S. Like we Catholic Church have the right of the Eucharist and the rights of the Mass. They have rights that awaken the dead, arouse passion inside a person, and bring disaster, even death, upon an enemy. This is not of God. So we have to stay away from it. All right, let's look at our final couple slides. Look at this next one, Satanism. Satanism is... is is a critical one that you have to be careful of. It gives homage to the prince of darkness and even celebrates black masses. What is a black mass? It's a parody of our mass. But the problem is, it's sacrilegious and blasphemes our Lord. Stay away. Stay away. So, uh, Christian faith has condemned this. Popes and saints have condemned it. The Council of Trent forbade any um, works of necromancy and things like that. The First Council of Toledo and the Council of Braga both condemned astrology. Magic and sorcery evoked a large number of papal bulls. Again, not stage magic, but magic trying to control Many decisions and religious synods of the church have condemned this. So what do you do? Well, we want to raise awareness. Ghosts are real, but handle them in the real way. Don't reach out to the dead. Reach out to a canonized saint who we know is of the living. Don't go to them. If they come to you, pray for them. That means God allowed it. If they come to you, that's a sign that it's okay, that God allows it, even if it's scary at first. Pray for them, and if they go away, that's probably what's going to happen. If you pray for them, it's most likely it'll go away. Now, if it doesn't and it gets worse, it could be a bad spirit. Then you talk to a priest about blessing your house. It's not, not too difficult. Now, a good thing would be to have Gregorian masses said for them. What's a Gregorian Mass? A Gregorian Mass is 30 consecutive Masses said for a deceased person after they die. And it actually came from Gregory the Great, who had a vision of a soul in purgatory. He was asking for prayers. And so that became the tradition. The Gregorian Mass, the tradition came from him seeing a soul. You know, there was one story floating online that I saw, I think is very powerful, that a ghost had been appearing in a house, and finally they decided to have Gregorian Masses said for the soul. Now, this is very interesting. I heard it somewhere on the internet, so I'm not taking credit for it. I just don't remember where I heard it. And every time when they had the Mass done, when they got to the Our Father, which said, forgive us our trespasses, the candles on the altar would blow out. So Mass 16, the candles would blow out. Mass 22, the candles would blow out. Mass 28, the candles would blow out. Then when they had Mass 30, which is the tradition to release a soul from purgatory and allow him into heaven, the candles didn't blow out. And when they got to the part, and the kiss of peace, let us each offer each other a sign of peace, then the candles blew out. Which to the priest, the priest said that was a sign that it had been an issue of unforgiveness. And now they were at peace. Wow. That's the beauty of what our faith is. And so I wanted to finish with a great saint that you probably never heard of, one of Father Dan Canberra's favorites, Saint Nicholas of Tolentino. You ever hear of him? You should. He's up on your screen. Jesus appeared to him and thanked him for praying and having masses said for the dead and showed him all the souls he released. Could you imagine having Jesus appear to you and thank you for praying for the dead and showing you all the souls you helped? I mean, I I can't even imagine what that would feel like. And so Jesus appeared to this saint and showed him all the souls he released, you can too. You don't have to be a priest. You can have masses said for people. You can go to your local parish. We here at the Marian Fathers, give us a call. We'll do masses for you. This is powerful stuff. And that's why in 1884, Pope Leo XIII, the greatest pope I think we've ever had in our church, declared him the universal patron saint of the holy souls in purgatory. We never hear this. This is the man, St. Nicholas of Tolentino. So let's pray to him. Let's thank him and say, Lord, thank you for the gift of what you've given us in the saints. And regarding ghosts, be not afraid. Remember, they only appear when God allows them. And if God is allowing them, it's going to be for a good reason to either pray for them or to help them in some way. So let us not be afraid. And if you want to join in praying for the dead, you can join us here at the Marion Helpers. If Brother Mark can show on the slide, we can take no money, no time, but you can visit micprayers.org and become a Marian Helper. Again, it doesn't cost anything. It takes but 10 seconds. Because when you die we continue to pray for you, and you're not going to need anything more important than that. I'm a Marian helper, even though I'm a Marian and a Marian priest, because I'm going to need prayers when I die. Thank God that we have a spiritual benefit society, such as the Marian helpers, to help us when we die, because after our Marian helpers pass away, we still pray for you, living and deceased Marian helpers. So if you'd like to get more of information on this kind of thing, Brother Mark can show on the screen a couple quick slides. I have my DVD called Explaining the Faith. This is about several of our uh, talks, not done here at the shrine, but out in the parishes, so they're different. You can get that at shopmercy.org or 800-462-7426. The next two books, and we'll finish here, Brother Mark and Show is my newest book, um, Understanding Divine Mercy, which tells you all about the power of the saints, the mass, um, purgatory. You can get that also at shopmercy.org or 800-462-7426. And last but not least, the best book I think that applies to this topic is... After suicide there's hope for them and you. Not meaning that the person that it's only applies to somebody who took their life in suicide. No. This is a book that talks about those who have died. We can still help them. Even now years later. And it's not just about suicide, it's losing anybody to any kind of tragedy, natural causes, accidents, This book will show you how you can help your loved ones, even if they've died years ago. And it'll explain why the theology backs this. It's a powerful message. We hope you'll get it. It's called After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You. Same thing, shopmercy.org or 800-462-7426. God bless you all. Now, I do have one quick announcement. There will be no Saturday talk on November 20th. November 20th, I will be in San Diego. Uh, we pre recorded this as a premiere, and this, this show is airing today on November 13th. But on November 20th, there will be no Saturday Talk, but I'll be back on the 27th. So come join us then. And so again, may Almighty God bless you and keep you, and don't be no afraid of there. Uh, what is it, that phrase? Uh, I ain't afraid of no ghosts, because we know our faith. God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast?